Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. You know, it's often asked by, by those who are attending church, those that come to church, those who are members of a church, uh, those who are on the cusp of membership. When, when I talk to people who have been uh, visitors, and we've been so blessed to have a, a plethora of visitors here at this church in the last several months. Some of them even come back after they hear how bad the preacher is. They're still willing to come on back. And, and when, when we talk, uh, a topic that often comes up is, well, well what, 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 am I gonna, what am I gonna be able to do? You know, how, are, there things, are there things for me to do? Are there things for me to do to serve the Lord in this church? Where is it that I can serve? Where can I serve a, a real purpose uh, particularly with some of the, the younger people. Man, they, they get right on you and they just get right on that. Well, well, where, can I, where can I serve a purpose? I want to feel like what I'm doing matters. What is it that I can do uh, to really matter? And the thing is, the, the question and the response has really been rising in the church since the beginning of the church. You go all the way back. We're going to be in, in 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and be making your way there, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But that question has kind of been, been coming up since the beginning uh, of the biblical church. And, and, and I think it'll rage on forever. What do we do? How do we serve? Where do we fit? All of those things. And, and usually the problem that we run into when we start to, to plug people in, because I get that question and I can promise you, as most of you sat there and thought, and you said, man, you got people asking what they can do. I've been doing three things for five years. I'd be happy to let them do one of those. So you're sitting there thinking there are plenty of holes that can be filled. If you got people saying they want to do something, then we got things they need to do. But inevitably, when we begin to talk about the things that need to be done, the holes that we have to fill, more often than not, what I usually get is a timid response. Well, I don't think I can do that. I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can do, I don't think that's where I'm called to be. I don't know that I'm capable of that. And so the problem is not, not usually whether or not somebody's willing to serve Christ, it's whether or not they believe that they're capable of serving Christ, if that makes sense. They, they haven't yet, until you step out on faith and do that thing that you're not capable of doing without Christ, you don't realize that Christ doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He puts us in these places, he pulls us out on the edge of the, the limb, and suddenly it becomes that we have to depend on him to teach that class because we're not able to do it on our own. And so they, they haven't yet learned what their spiritual ability is. And so these are valid questions, and they're valid things to deal with because I do believe that we're not... We're not to join the church and become spectators. I believe that we are to plug in and we are to serve and we are to, to, to build the kingdom and we are to, to lock arm in arm and go to work together, so to speak. And so as we get into our text this evening in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be on the subject of one body with Christ. Kind of that idea that we're all called to be one body. Once we're unified, once we're together in a church, we don't have pieces that are more important than other pieces necessarily. We have pieces that are all necessary that we would work together for a common goal, and that goal is to glorify Christ as a body. That is our goal as a church. So please stand this evening, if you're able, for the reading of the text from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. 
It says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are still one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And the members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do, and that is dwell among your people tonight. God, would you remove... Any spirit from this place that's not your Holy Spirit. Remove any thought from our minds that would hinder us from worshiping you through the hearing of your word in the next few minutes. God, if I would be about to say anything in error, would you remove that thought from my mind and those words from my notes? That you would be glorified in everything done this evening. And it is in your precious name that we pray, as all of God's people said. Amen, and you may be seated. Now, the title, One Body in Christ, would speak to the thought that if we're going to be one body, then it's going to have to be in Christ. Wouldn't you agree with that? Because we're not going to get together on any other topic other than Christ, I don't think. I don't think we can really wholly unify on any other thing except Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, anything else that we try to unify ourselves on, we're going to find that even within our agreements, we disagree on how we agree at times. You don't believe me? Just, just, just look at any situation that has ever arisen in your own house with your own family. We can't even decide exactly what an entire meal should be for supper without a disagreement from at least one member of my family. Because the moment I try to put a vegetable in, Carter is going to disagree that it shouldn't be there. The moment that I try to, to put this in, Liette's going to say she doesn't like that. The moment she tries to add this in, I'm going to say I don't particularly care for that. And at the end of the day, Mama's going to win. But we never did come to one unifying agreement. But, so, so you see, that, that's my house on, on something as trivial as supper. 
So if we're going to be one body and we're going to be in any accord together, we're going to be in any agreement together, that is going to have to be on something that one never changes and two never fails, and that is going to be Christ. It's got to be something that's constant and steady and has always been and has never changed. That is only Christ that we are going to be able to unify on. And so as Paul pins this letter to the Corinthians... Let's remember where it even came from. Paul had, had planted the church in Corinth during his second missionary journey. And as he writes this letter, most scholars would believe that he's in his third missionary journey. And he's probably somewhere in the area of Ephesus as he's, as he's kind of pinning this letter around. And so as he pins this letter, he's gotten word of the, of the situation in Corinth. And Corinth had become as worldly a location as was imaginable. So in this time, false gods, idolatry, sexual sin was rampant. The, the, the area had become so sinful that if you could think of it, it was going on. Does that sound familiar? If you could identify with a, a corruption or a sin, it was going on in Corinth. And unfortunately, as Paul pins this letter... What he has discovered is that the church was not doing a very good job of divorcing itself from the culture around it. It was no longer setting itself apart uh, as a lamp on a hill. It was more dragging the church into the culture than the church pulling the culture into Jesus. Is kind of what was going on. Essentially, the church was not being the light because it had fallen in love with the darkness. And so Paul begins to confront some issues and, and as he began to look into it he began to realize early on that some were claiming an allegiance to Apollos a teacher some were holding their allegiance still to Paul some were claiming an allegiance to Peter they were all claiming an allegiance to some other leader and the problem was that none of them were unified in the direction that they were hit, heading and so Paul begins to deal with that and how the church should worship God. And then he, he kind of dives off into the subject we're going to be in tonight. And he starts to recognize that within the body there are some people who have come to the conclusion that they're just a part of the church in passing and that they're not really necessary. And some people have come to the conclusion that they're so necessary that the church can't survive without them. And so he begins to point these things out, and I think they would be good for us to remember this evening if a church is going to worship together. And the main thing that he's going to point out is that there are no unimportant members of the church, and that to worship Christ is to serve him. And so let's look at verses first, let's look at verses 12 through 14 this evening. And we're going to look at this idea that all members are in the same spirit. If we're going to be a unified body in Christ, serving Christ together, then all of our members have to have the same spirit. He starts out with this comparison that's going to be ringing through this whole story tonight. And I think it's, it's one of the best comparisons we could use for talking about the body of Christ. But he begins to talk about your physical body. Why is it such a good comparison? Is there anybody in here that doesn't have a body? Right? So you can relate to that. So we're able to say, all right, we all have this body. We can all see other people's bodies. We can all put our, wrap our brain around this physical thing. And so he says, listen, the body, your body, it has many parts. There's a lot of parts to your body. Any scientific gurus in here want to tell me how many bones we got in our body? 
I thought it was 206. I don't know. 206. Miss Judy says 209. Miss Teresa says probably 206. I'm going to say this. More than 200. All right? I'm going to be safe. I'm going to play the safe card. We have over 200 bones in our body. We have all kinds of muscles. We have all kinds of things that go in to the simple movement. Just looking at my hand, there's an awful lot of parts even in just my hand. And yet, they're all my body. They all go into a specific part of making my body and making it to function. Likewise, when we become a part of the body of Christ, when we join into a local fellowship, when we say this is, this is where we're going to serve the Lord, this is where we're going to jump in, this is where we're going to be a part, we're no longer an individual part, but we're a part of a greater body of Christ. We become one part. Globally, as a local church, we're part of a bigger church of the bride of Christ. We all have a bigger purpose. And so while we're all these little individual pieces, we make up one greater body. No matter where we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what our background is, what does Paul say? Paul says the Jews and the Greeks and the slaves and the free. And what he essentially does there is he lumps it into everybody. Jew, Greek, slave, free. That was everybody in that culture. And he said everybody, it's an all-encompassing statement. No matter what you were, when you become baptized into the family of God, when you become baptized with the Holy Spirit, when you become saved, we become part of the same body. And what a true depiction of how we should look in our local church, that we would mirror that image of the, of the church globally. If we're all Christians and we're all followers of the same Christ, then we should be able to come together and look like it. We should be able to come together and be in one spirit. Think of our hands. Now how funny would it be if one hand did what the brain commanded and the other did whatever it wanted to do? It would probably look... Did any of you come watch church league basketball when I was playing a couple years ago? Anybody see that? That's what it looks like when one hand does what it's supposed to and the other does whatever it wants to. My jump shot is the epitome of hands not doing what the brain tells them to do. We, we have to look and we have to be, and it shouldn't be that difficult if we're all in Christ. We should be able to look like we're on the same page. Why? Because that page should be glorifying Christ. That's what the page should be. We should be on one spirit. You know what? I mean, you think about this. What if, what if one feet, one foot went rogue? Sounded better in my head before I said it. And then I said it and I said, man, that was off. But I knew how many bones we had in our body. So think about it. If I told my feet to go right, but this one over here said I'm going to go left anyway, what would happen? That's as far as I'm going. I'd end up in the splits up here. Why? Because one part went its own way. It went rogue. It went all on its own. And so we have to realize what Paul was writing. He said it doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter any of those things. When you become a believer and you become a part of this body, you become a part of something bigger than yourself. You're no longer to, to be going rogue on your own. You're to be under the headship of Christ, following Christ, submitting to Christ, dedicating your life to Christ. He's to be the master and the commander, and you're to hit your wagon to that horse, so to speak. 
That's where you're supposed to be going. That's why it drives me crazy when I hear horror stories about how somebody in the church got mad and left because they wanted blue paint and they painted it yellow. Because at the end of the day, if you've made it about your color of paint, you haven't made it about glorifying Christ. You see what I'm saying? We get so caught up in making sure my, my feelings are heard and my emotions are felt. And I want to make sure that you know what I think you ought to be in. When at the end of the day, it should be a pretty simple process. And it blows my mind how difficult we make it as a group of people. But it should be a simple, simple process, really. If I got a problem with you, Scripture tells me what I'm to do. I'm to go to you. And if when I get there, you don't hear what I have to say, then I'm supposed to take one or two mature Christians of the same like mind, and I'm supposed to go back to you. And we're supposed to have this conversation. Do you know why the Bible doesn't give us any real prescription for how you're supposed to have discord in the church? Because the Bible was written in an understanding that we were supposed to be in one accord in the church. And it gave us a way not to be. It said, if you're not in one accord, here's how you remedy that. You talk to one another. And at the end of the day, we won't agree on everything, but what we can agree on is one thing, and that's that we're going to prescribe to what God's Word says. So if you come to me and we have a disagreement and it's on feelings or paint colors, that's not prescribed in the Word of God. At the end of the day, you know what we ought to say? Let's not paint it blue or yellow. I don't need my way to happen. You don't need your way to happen. I need God's way to happen, and I don't think He cares what color the walls are. But how many times do we get so caught up in that that it begins to go this way? Because at the end of the day, more people get upset and get twisted and, and the word of God doesn't go out from the church because we're so busy, so busy trying to say, I need you to hear what I've got to say. I need to be heard. Can I give you a little hint on how you can decide how big your problem is? This would be really easy. If you've got a problem with leadership in the church or somebody else in the church, and it is a biblical issue, somebody is doing something that is contrary to the Word of God. Leadership has begun to put something out there that is contrary to the Word of God. Immediately go to that person with the Word of God. Confront them. If it's me, please confront me. I, I may make a mistake in leadership and, and take us somewhere, start pushing us somewhere that's contrary to the Word of God. Your responsibility is to come to me and say, hey, this is not the Word of God. In which case, I promise you, I'll say, hmm, I missed that. I'm very sorry, and we'll go a different direction. If your problem with somebody is not contrary to the Word of God, then ask yourself, is my problem really that big a problem? Or am I just trying to make sure that my feelings are heard? Because at the end of the day, 
I'm going to tell you something, and this is probably going to catch some of you off guard. Your feelings really are not that important. What is important is that we glorify the Word of God. Now, am I saying we should all come in here and hate each other and be mad? No, that's crazy. We should be unified under Christ. What I'm saying is that we ought to be able to look at each other and say, you know what, I don't agree on what color the carpet should be, but I don't really care. What I care about is that the Word of God is preached in this place and that we go out with the Word of God and that we show it to people because that's what we can get together on. I can't agree with carpet colors with you guys. I can't even agree on carpet colors with myself. But what I can agree on is the Word of God. It's the most important thing that we can do as a body of believers. So there's a couple of elements that Paul is going to point out to us in the Scripture as we go through. Verse 14 through 20 begin to introduce these elements. And the first one he writes about is a feeling that I am not needed. The first thing Paul addresses is there's a feeling that, that tends to come in where we, we get in the body and we say, you know what, I'm not really a needed part of this body. How many people have felt like that? If you're being honest, at some point in time in your church life, you've looked around at your church and you've said, man, I, I'm not really a needed cog in this will. They don't really need me. If I disappear, it really doesn't matter. The church doesn't need me. And Paul starts in verse 14 through 16. He said, listen, the body is made up of many members. But we have a problem if the foot says, I'm not useful to the body because I'm not a hand. The foot looks around and says, look, the hand gets to hold the pencil. It gets to write the letters. It gets to do all of these things. And all I do is hold this big body up. I'm of no use. I'm not a hand. The ear says, listen, I'm... All I do is hear all these noises, but I don't see anything. I'm not an eye. I'm not all that important to this body. And it's that description that is the feeling that creeps into us sometimes when we're in the church and we look around and we go, I am not, I'm just not nearly as important to this church as that person because I don't teach the Sunday school class. I'm not nearly as important to this church as that person because I'm not a deacon. I don't play the piano. I don't sing the song, so I have no importance. If I just went missing, nobody, it wouldn't matter. And Paul gives us a couple of truths to help us deal with this feeling of inadequacy. The first thing he points is that this feeling, one, it's just an invalid emotion. It really has no basis. It has no truth. That thought is not truthful at all. Look at the end of verse 15. Paul says, if the foot says I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Does that mean that it's not of the body? And the point is this, just because the foot decides that it's not a part of the body, it doesn't not become part of the body. It's still there. Whether the foot wants to be there or not, it's still a part of the body. And the idea is this, just because you've decided in your mind that you're not as important as the piano player, that is, there's no truth to the fact that you're not as important as the piano player. Just because you've decided in your head that you're not as important as the deacon, that doesn't mean that you, you really aren't important to the body. That's something that you've come up with on your own. But the fact of the matter is you're still part of the body and you're just as important. You still have a role to play and something to do. Verse 16, he says, just because the ear decided it's not needed, because the body has eyes, that doesn't mean that the ear 
is not important. What would happen if the ear just folded up shop? Right? The idea is this. No matter what your feelings of uselessness are, that you can come up with by comparing yourself to others, and that's a dangerous game to play when you start comparing yourself to others. Your argument is invalid because everyone is here for a reason. And everyone is needed. Everybody has been ordained to be here for this season, to be a part of this body, because you have an integral part to play in this body of believers. And if you're part of the body of Christ, you serve a greater purpose. You have something to do. The second thing that Paul begins to point out in verse 17, first he says, listen, the idea that you're not needed, that's just an invalid point. There's no reason for you to think that. And then he says in verse 17, he says, because guess what? We need diversity in the body. We need the body to be diverse. He says, if the whole body was eyes, then how would we hear? And if everything was ears, how would we smell? The whole body is needed for the body to properly function as a whole. In verse 19, he asks this question. If we're all the same members, then where would the body be? If we were to adhere to that thought in the church, that because we're not like somebody else or we don't do what somebody else does, then what we would be saying is the church should essentially be made up of all the same person. We should all be exactly alike. We should have no diversity. We should all be just one person. Now, I realize I am an extremely good-looking man with a lot of talents. Some of you agree. But if the church was made up of a bunch of me, we'd have a problem because I only have a certain amount of spiritual gifts. I only have a certain amount of any gifts, period, spiritual or not. And if all we could depend on were my spiritual gifts, we'd be in trouble. I can't play that thing. And I ain't sung a note on key in a long time. If I do, it's passing through the key on accident to get to a sharper flat note. I don't teach children well. I admit that freely. I start teaching kids and Leah says, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm telling a Bible story. She said, they're three. They don't need to know about propitiation. I said, well, I think they do. My wife teaches kids like nobody's business. We would never stand in front of a group of adults. That's not her spiritual gift. Right? So what would the church look like if there was no diversity? We would only do one thing. If everybody looked like me, we'd all stroll in on Sunday. We'd have to have 120 pulpits across the front because none of us would sit out there. And when we did sit out there, we'd say, well, he's not as pretty as he thought he was. Your body has many members, right? You get it. You need your feet. Your, your foot may very well say, I don't get to write the letters, but what you know is if it disappears, you fall on your face, and the hand ain't writing the letter then, is it? So we know in our body we need a diversity of parts. The same is to be said in the church. We can't say that, that the church doesn't need me, the body doesn't need me. Why? One, it just doesn't make sense. You can say you're not needed, but you still are. And two, we need you because you have a unique set of gifts that, that come to the forefront of this church. And the third truth comes in 18. And I like this one the most. 
Paul essentially writes this, God set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleased. If the appeal that the thought that you don't matter is invalid and the appeal that we need diversity in the body isn't good enough for you, if you're a child of God, this last one ought to let you know that you're needed to be here. Why? Because the Word of God says God put you here as he pleased. You're supposed to be here. How do I know you're supposed to be here? Because you're here, right? We're to be in one accord. And you know what? If we can't get in one accord, then maybe you're not supposed to be here. Maybe it's time for you to go to where you can be in one accord with somebody. Before you were born, before you were knit together, before you were in your mother's womb, God put a certain set of spiritual gifts and a certain call on your life and he equipped you with these things for such a moment as this. And there's not one of us in the body that's useless. There's not one of us in the body that doesn't serve a purpose. We are so much more than the problems in our lives. We're so much more than the mistakes that we've made. We were made to fill a purpose. And to be a believer and to feel like we don't belong is to fall short of what God has called us to do. And really it's to say we put a limit on how mighty God is if we don't think he can use us and we think we're useless. So first we dealt with the ailment of uselessness. That idea that I don't belong, I don't serve a purpose, I don't need to serve in the church because I'm not good enough to do anything anyway. But now we're going to look at verses 21 through 27 as we wrap it up, and that's the second ailment that comes in when we look to serve the church in unison. And that is a feeling of self-sufficiency. We dealt with the idea that the church doesn't need me. Now we're going to deal with the idea of I don't need the church. Right? The first element is the one that says, church doesn't need me. I don't serve a purpose anyway. The second element that Paul is the one who says, listen, I don't need the church. I'm good enough without it. I'm better off without it even. He begins in verse 21 and he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't have any need of you. And the head to the feet, I have no need for you. The image here that Paul is painting is this. If the head were to decide that it could walk without the feet, could it? Of course not. The head may think it can, but if the head goes telling the body to stroll to the back of the sanctuary and the feet don't go, you're just going to fall on your face, right? Silly analogy, right? But it's the truth. Relate that to the way we interact as a church. It would be absurd for us to look at one another and for one member to say to any other member, we don't need you. You don't have any purpose. You don't have any reason to be here. You accomplish nothing. You're completely unneeded. Why is that so absurd? Well, because God says they have a purpose. In fact... The word of God would suggest that we can't fulfill the purpose that God called us to as a church without them. They're here. They're knitted together with us for a purpose. So everybody has something to do. 
And it's easy to amen that and say, you're right, preacher boy, I know we all belong. You're right, everybody has a purpose. I'd never look at anybody, I'd never look at anybody and say, you're, you're not important, you don't have an opinion, your opinion doesn't, I'd never say that, really. I want to ask you to think back to the last disagreement you had at one of those good old Baptist business meetings. When you were on the different side of the debate of somebody else in that good old Baptist business meeting. When you left, did you thank God for the other person's opinion? Did you say, God, thank you for that perspective that I gained from that disagreement with that person. Thank you for bringing them into my life. Thank you for the purpose that the different opinion brought about for me. I learned about humility in this type situation when a gentleman who's actually, he actually passed away last year, two years ago. He and I had a different view of something in the church and it was going to be coming to a vote. Now, we had such a different view, and it was such a large matter that, you know, it was one of those matters that we discussed this week, and we were going to vote on it next week. It was, it was kind of that big of a deal. And at the end of that next week, at the end of the business meeting, I wasn't a pastor there, obviously, but at the end of that business meeting, the church voted in the same direction where I was leaning. The church voted to go the direction that I felt like was the right direction. And that man came up to me after that meeting, and I thought, oh, Lord, I'm going to hear it now. You know, he's going to tell me how I swayed votes or how I did this or how I did that. And instead, he come up, and he put us around me, and he said, you know, I want you to know all that disagreement's over. Let's go to work. This is the direction the church voted on. This is the direction we're going. You'll never hear a negative word out of me no matter what happens. And if it fails, I'll never say I told you so. What do you need me to do? And I walked away from that and I went, oh my goodness. If it had gone the other way, would I have had the same humility to go put my arm around him and say, you know what, you'll never hear another word out of me? Or would I have just walked out the door? The option to say we don't need somebody else or somebody else is not important is not an option in the church. Verse 22, Paul writes, No, much rather, those members of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. Should we ever gain the idea that we are more important than somebody? Paul here says to us, listen, you may think that you do something that's more important than somebody else, but they have a role that's just as important as you. Lest I ever get a big head behind this pulpit as to think my role is more important than the person who comes and prays for me on Monday, I can't do this without them. Lest the song leader ever get the idea that he sings so well and is so important that he is more special than the person that puts the words into the computer system and clicks them over for us, let him go a Sunday without the words changing. I love Brother Jason dearly, but y'all ever seen him when the words ain't right? He... Silly example, but it's true. We all have such an integral part 
And should we ever become so conceited or so proud that we think our position is more important than somebody else, as Paul says, the weaker is necessary. Everybody is necessary. There aren't anyone who we can't do without. Why? Because God created them and composed this body exactly the way it is. Verses 25 through 27, he kind of wraps it up and he says, We're to guard against these things so that there'll be no division. There'll be no favoritism, but instead there'll be care for one another. If one suffers, everybody suffers. If one rejoices, everybody rejoices. Why? Because we are all the body of Christ. We're all members of that body together. We don't get to pick and choose who we suffer with, and we don't get to decide who we esteem within this body. We worship together, we praise together, we suffer together, and we glory together because we're all equally important to this body of believers. So this evening as we close, I want to ask you to think about this. Anybody remember what date I said? If you are going to attend Rocky Valley Baptist Church, moving forward, what is the Sunday that you don't want to miss? Man, y'all are good. How many Sundays between now and then are we supposed to miss? Perfect. October 21st, we're going to be talking about some direction and some vision for the next years and the next months of this church, opportunities to serve, things that we need, places where you can, can get involved. And it would be really easy between now and then to say, I'm not important. I can't do any of those things. It would be really easy to say, I can do all those things. We don't need anybody else. But what would be biblical is if we said, I need to be open to doing any of those things, even if it seems trivial, because it's very important to the kingdom of God. And I need to recognize that everybody else serves the same purpose, and that's to glorify Christ. And that should be our prayer in unison every time, is that any time we open the doors and any time we walk back out of them, we as a body would glorify King Jesus. That should be our only goal. And when we get on that page, then we'll be in one accord. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this evening thankful for an opportunity to gather together. But God, we come to you looking at a scripture where it talks about body parts and their necessity and all of those things. Lord God, we recognize that for as long as there have been churches, there have been disagreements, there have been holes that needed to be filled. There have been feelings of inadequacy, Lord God. But what we recognize is that on our own, we're inadequate to do anything. But with you, Father, we're capable of anything. So God, call us to this greater understanding that we would recognize that you've called us here for a purpose. And that if we're here, we have a purpose. 
Help us to be unified together, Lord, as one body and one accord, seeking to glorify your holy name. Because, Father, you alone are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our honor. And you're worthy of being glorified. And nothing else on this earth is. God, convict us and change us. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.